Welcome to Pencils Down, a Finalis podcast. This is a show for listeners wanting to learn more about the ins and outs of the securities brokerage landscape. Each episode will feature insightful conversations with the world's leading investment bankers, placement agents, capital providers, startup CEOs, and more. Let's get into the show. Billy, thank you so much for joining us here at Pencils Down. Oh, well, Fred, it's a pleasure to be with you. It seems like yesterday that we were talking on the day before Christmas Eve, almost a year and a half ago now, getting our uh, paperwork arranged and you gave me right. vision and it's wonderful to see the vision fulfilled. Thank you so much. For those that are listening in, I should say that Billy Birdzell and the Horatius Group are one of our earliest customers and investment banking affiliates here at Finalis. And you know, one of the questions I like to lead off with, Billy, is to give folks listening in an opportunity to hear a little bit about your path and your journey to investment banking and to launching the Horatius Group. Well, I always wanted to be an investment banker. And when I was a junior in college, you have to get one of those internships in the summertime. And unfortunately, I was the worst networker in the history of bad networkers. And I knew nothing <laughs> about anything. I, I, I won races on a bicycle and, and I got good grades in school, career center, cover. I had no idea how to do anything. So I didn't get in anywhere. And I needed a job. So I went to Marine Corps Officer Candidate School, which doesn't that may not be a logical sequence of decision making for many people, but it made sense to me. And right. so my journey to investment banking was 20 years of the road less traveled and, you know, taking the long way home. So eight years in the Marine Corps, marched to Baghdad uh, as a frontline infantryman in 03. And I've always been entrepreneurial, started my first business when, when I was 15 and worked in college. And so the Marine Corps was starting a special operations unit called the Raiders, but became the Raiders. Back then, it had a, had a, a few different names as it evolved. But being able to get on the ground floor of, of, a, of a special unit inside of a greater enterprise is always neat. And if you're in the Marine Corps or General Electric or Goldman Sachs, for that matter, being able to do something from the ground floor is a rare experience and a neat opportunity. So I joined special operations. And while most people think of special operations like the team that got Osama bin Laden. I was profiled for my ability to work across just about every human barrier and was on the advisory side. And what is M&A all about? Advisory services. So I lived with a family in Morocco, uh, lived on their couch and went to school, had to do one-on-one all day, every day, till I spoke fluent French and I took my team across Africa where we embedded with partner forces, co-created a strategy and then essentially executed a series of transactions to help them scale. And if an individual can do that with the sheikh and a tribal chief and generals in Africa, you can do it across the lower middle market. You can sit with a partner or a family as the case may be. And really all our whole approach is, is a mindset and, and, and strategies developed in special operations that we apply to the business world and uh, ha- having more fun than I ever thought I'd have in a way that I didn't think I'd have it, and, and I don't think it'd even be possible without Finalis. Amazing. So you're now in Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken, and you've launched Horatius Group. Tell me a little bit about the underlying thesis of the business, You know, the types of opportunities that you're chasing. Our thesis is 
I don't know if it's a thesis as it's really just a response to facts. And the facts are there's 150,000 companies between about three and 20 million of EBITDA, what we call the middle market, the lower middle market. There's right. about 5,000 that are middle market and then 5,000 that are big companies. And there's only one CEO in each one of those organizations. So from a volume perspective, the lower middle market is uh, what, 30 times? Is it 30 times both of those combined? It's about right. Yeah. So it's a lot. It's a way bigger. And so also what's, what's unique about the lower middle market is two thirds of those companies are run by baby boomers. Uh, so they're now all retiring. And there's been a, a, a large demographic trend whereby 20 years ago, three quarters of family owned lower middle market businesses stayed in a family. And, and, and my family was uh, 129 years of meat packing. And I grew up listening about my great great grandfather, my great grandfather, and on you go. But today, 75% of these companies are, are being sold to third parties, whether it's a family office, a private equity firm, or an outside group of capital. And so they're, they're just not enough transaction professionals to be of service to these individuals who sold their car, mortgaged their house, borrowed against their life insurance policy, right. have just navigated through black holes, chaos, recessions, and all sorts of uh, tremendous storms in order to build a great business that's 5, 10, 15 million in EBITDA and has hundreds and hundreds of employees and all those families rely on them. And it's just really special to me to be of service to them in a way that allows them to monetize their life's work and create liquidity for their family, but also get the right partner that's going to preserve the legacy, grow the business, and, and turn it into something really great that's going to perpetuate for hopefully generations. So, Billy, you put together this lower middle market focused investment bank. You've got a strong thesis around you know, many family-owned enterprises run by baby boomers that are looking to potentially exit their business. In that journey, what has been the most surprising thing about it as you've gone out, talked to business owners, and engaged in some really meaningful deal flow? What surprised me most is actually the first adage of special operations, which are that humans are more important than hardware. So, for example, you know, when I first went out and, and got my first M&A mandate, I was competing against investment banks that everybody's heard of. And they have, some of them are global, <laughs> thousands sure. of employees. And I won that mandate. And it's not because I'm the biggest, the tallest, the smartest, or ha have the most experience. It's not because I have the most information. It's a personal relationship between an advisor and a founder. And that's what makes successful in special operations. That's what makes advisors in any manner of advisory services anywhere in the world successful. And I was so surprised as to how open the founders are to working with a person or, or a, you know, a, a team that's standing in, in front of that individual as opposed to a company and, and a name and, and a marquee. Tell me a little bit about that relationship building process and what have you found to be an approach that you adopt that might not be an approach that the classical larger investment bank might apply? I've never worked at a, at a, at a middle market investment bank. Of course, the bulge bracket banks 
are in an entirely different business. The Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Citibank. Sure. You know, they're, that's, those are Fortune 500 companies and they're issuing securities in multiple currencies in multiple countries. And it's like a completely different business than what we're, we're doing here. But in terms of the middle market banks, I haven't worked at one of those. So there's, I, I know people who do, I, I've collaborated with people who do and they're, and they're fantastic and, and all respect to them. In my comings and goings, in, in my business, when I sit with a founder, I'm as authentic and, and honest as I can be. I tell them about where I come from and how I see the world and work that I've done. And it's not necessarily work in the securities business. I've, I've published in, in many military journals about how, how do you like out guerrilla the guerrilla or how do you use a limited amount of resources and personnel to get ahead of a much larger uh, competitor. And they... And it resonates with them. And so I think honesty, uh, authenticity, and, and, and really diversity of experience, which that founder uh, can relate to, establishes trust and it est establishes the foundation of a wonderful working relationship. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the word authenticity. I think about that a lot in the context of Finalis and in my own founding journey of the company around when you as a leader really authentically embody the value that you're seeking to deliver, it shows and the market responds to that. And that's one of the things that I was always drawn to about the way that you've gone about launching your bank uh, effectively is that, you know, Billy Birdsell, the Horatius Group, there is just an authentic story there around the values that you hold, the type of business that you're looking to scale. Tell me a little bit about something that you've achieved recently in the context of growing Horatius Group that you're particularly proud of? Uh, to date, our, our, our biggest achievement, which is also the one we're most proud of, is helping a regional company uh, become a national platform. So we ran the sell side and, you know, I love teaching. I love coaching. I've, I've been a coach my entire adult life. And so we're simultaneously uh, coaching very experienced business professionals with 30 years of experience, founders on the transaction process. And they don't, they've never, they don't really deal with EBITDA. They don't, they never heard of trailing 12 before, networking sure. capital adjustments, <laughs> right? So all these, all these terms and different formulas that, that are new to them. And that same core team, that executive team that started literally at like a kitchen table with an idea is now leading a platform backed by one of the largest lower middle market private equity firms in the United States. And it, it, and EBITDA is now four times higher today wow. than it was nine months ago. We did six add-ons in 171 days. We closed one on Christmas Eve, two on New Year's Eve. And I, I think we had to, we were running in order to beat the wire transfer line, but, uh, be able yeah. to build a relationship and be part of a team and a team of teams that was able to be transformative. Oh my goodness, that's that's just the best the best work that I that I do. It's the best work that I want to do. Amazing. That's an incredible story. If we rewind time a little bit, Billy, I remember kind of some of our early interactions. The Horatius Group and Finalis came of age in many ways around the same time, and I know we met probably in month two or three of COVID. Tell me a little bit about how the Horatius Group has managed this exogenous shock that 
the COVID-19 pandemic has been to the U.S. economy, to the global economy, and to the investment banking industry in particular? Well, first, we don't manage to external forces. Uh, here at the Horatius Group, we manage time and we manage budgets. Right. We, we respond and we adapt to exogenous factors and we thrive in chaos. And so well, that's it. <laughs> and so, well, uh, and, and, and again, that's from special operations, right? That's from, you know, where I started and, sure. and literally bringing unconventional warfare to unconventional situations uh, that it works. And so one, just one of the ways is by leveraging technology and being rapid uh, ad adopters. And many people think of special operations as meatheads. And yes, you have to be very strong and be able to have a lot of endurance. But first and foremost, it, it, it's being able to solve problems and make decisions under immense amount of stress. So right. if you look at the first teams into Afghanistan. Oh my, you know, they're on like horses, but they have global connectivity on their backs. And so the idea of, of the technology and whatever technology, we're going to learn it, we're going to implement it, we're going to refine it, customize it and go. And we've done that more and more, actually. So we've worked with a, a company called Christosoft, and, 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 and we funded Krista M&A. We were their first customer, which is a, uh, it uses uh, natural language processing and machine learning to read uh, lots of documents. So it's like a sim reader and, and scorecarding, and we're rolling out CRM and all, all the best technology we can to be as cutting edge as possible. And then also, too, we show up. So in the middle of COVID, when, when others didn't want to get on a plane, I did the double 95 mask and glove, whatever was necessary. And I got on the plane and I went and I showed up. And, 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 and between the two of those, getting there with and doing what is ever required to, to be of service to the client and leveraging technology in the best ways possible. So, for example, when I got, I got all the enterprise stuff. I got all the enterprise softwares. Like I don't do small business because sure. I might be a small business close quote, but in my mind, we're an enterprise being of service to other enterprise. So I got all the enterprise software and right. we got it all set up. And one of them, we had to like talk them into letting us use it because we didn't have enough users. And we're like, please. And they, they hooked this up, but there's something about a mindset being cutting edge in technologies and really showing up and, and, and being a service and taking care of people that makes the world turn regardless of interest rates, inflation, bullets, bombs, blood, chaos, or any other exogenous factor that we can't control. It makes a ton of sense. I mean, oftentimes in business, when you see a lot of folks moving in one direction, being the one nonconformist moving in the other direction is the way to go. So clearly you saw that early on and you exploited that. Tell me a little bit about specific challenges that Horatius Group has faced in this context, and how have those challenges influenced either your deal flow or your overall approach to winning new business? Oh, my goodness. Well, just like everyone else, being able to uh, attract and retain key talent is the long pole in the tent. The advisory services business is about people. It's, it's, it's a, and, and a very certain kind of person with a certain sort of uh, personality and mindset and strengths. And it's been a struggle for us to retain, to, to attract and, and, and partner with very experienced people. However, um, when I marched to Baghdad, there were only six of us of 53 that were older than 20. Wow. And they, and we had the same javelin missiles that they're using in Ukraine right now. 
<laughs> along with explosives and all all kinds of everything. And you know what? Those young Marines were fabulous. They did what they, they were fabulous. And so we have built an army of interns. And and as far as they tell me, they get to do more with Horatius Group, supported by Finalis, with all the compliance and all the checks necessary to keep us uh, between the lines, as well as uh, we have a wonderful relationship with a service provider in India. And now we're on a 24-hour cycle. So my last email out and then my first email in the morning are to India, where a team of uh, finance professionals are helping us do analysis and a lot of labor-intensive work. And then we have uh, these wonderful uh, students at some of the best universities in the country helping us think through problems and, you know, put stuff together and, and do this work. And they get a lot of out of it. And the only problem is we did so much together. They're all getting jobs at these awesome institutions at these great big family offices and bulge bracket banks. But again, we love training. We love teaching. We love working with people. And so we're, uh, we're, we're just being unconventional in an unconventional environment. You can't go almost a week without seeing a story on the cover of the Wall Street Journal or the Financial Times talking about the talent crunch within investment banks. I'm sure you've seen uh, stories regarding you know, record sign-up bonuses, retention bonuses, just to keep not only first and second year analysts, but especially kind of that middle band of investment bankers with three to six years of experience happy in that context. What do you think are the drivers of what's ultimately informing a large bank's decision to throw these types of bonuses there? And to what extent does that expose an opportunity for a group like Horatius to break through and to appeal to this type of talent? It's a wonderful question, and, and I'm, I'm doing my best to be very thoughtful about it because I'm incredibly respectful of these large organizations and what they do and, and what they have to do and, and the demands of their clients. And it is that type of work is, is nothing that anyone should ever, you know, brush off. For me personally, large organizations, and this isn't about investment banking, this is about large organizations. This is the, the military, this is other very big companies that I, ha I have worked for. I felt like I, I'm a number, uh, I'm, a, I'm a, a block in, on a board, and it, it becomes, uh, and at some point, the bureaucracy for me became rather stifling, and I'm an entrepreneurial person, and so being in a smaller business, uh, again, for me, it allows me to, to, to fulfill my purpose and, and, and work in the way that I get a lot of satisfaction from, and I hope nobody thinks that I am deriding or, or otherwise poo-pooing any of these incredible organizations that are very large. And there's reasons companies are large, they have lower costs of capital and economies of scale and all of the other reasons why some of these companies can do something like create a vaccine in, in months, <laughs> right? And all kinds of incredible, uh, right. incredible work. But some people uh, certainly feel, I don't dehumanize this is the right word, but it's not, it's not their highest calling. They don't get to live their highest calling in that particular kind of environment. And what younger people have told me about their experience in a big bank, and I've never worked in a big bank, so again, I, I cannot be condescending or otherwise talk down to, to, to a, a, an organization I haven't been in. But the feedback that I get is 
it's it's all rather sterile. And everyone, everyone I know, or at least everyone I want to know, wants to do something great, wants to have a magic and an energy and 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 be of service. And when you have the personal, the personal interactions of dealing with a founder, someone like, and literally the stories are unbelievable. Like people like, you know, I had $5,000 and, and I had three kids and I was going to get evicted and I went and I did this and then this happened and this happened and, and built the business. It's, it's remarkable. Like it's, it's the American dream, which might sure. sound corny, but something from nothing, you know, hacking it out of the wilderness with one's two hands and building an organization on the way, I, I find really appealing. And, and and there's a real humanity in it. There's like a real uh, granular, granular or, or primal component to it. And so helping these types of organizations transform is, uh, I, I just find, I just find awesome. It resonates with me and it resonates the people with, with whom I work with other types of organizations are better for other people, but it, it it seems if large organizations are having to pay more and more money and, and the work of Daniel Pink about motivation, I find fascinating yeah. where money is an, is a, is an exogenous motive or an extrinsic motivator. Right? So, you know, we've watched people run through machine gun fire for minimum wage, <laughs> you know, right? Those are yeah. intrinsic motivations. Look, people are going for free to the Ukraine. People from all over the world are getting on a risky Money is a blunt instrument yes. that solves many problems, but doesn't necessarily solve the motivation problem. People need to feel invested in a mission that's greater than themselves. And depending on who that person is, the mission will vary. One question I have relating to that is it feels as if there's an industry agnostic trend, so not specific to financial services. I feel like I'm observing this across many industries where there is a desire for people to work for themselves, right? The so-called creator economy. The gig economy? The gig economy, the creator economy. It gives me no pride in admitting the results of a survey. I think it was one or two years ago where children polled, said they wanted to be Instagram influencers. And then they, of course, surveyed the same children in China and they wanted to be astronauts. The question is, to what extent do you think this is also playing into that? And uh, do you see opportunities for some of these folks currently you know, toiling at, at an investment bank, perhaps under a couple of layers of hierarchy as you know, potentially you know, being the types of folks that might be interested in starting up their own boutique advisory and, and that in many ways, maybe perhaps Horatius is a reflection of a wave that is to come in favor of folks effectively exploring their interests in corporate finance advisory on the basis of their own brand equity in the market. You know, so have you ever heard of self-determination theory? Yes. Of course, because you have more degrees than I do, which is like a lot <laughs> of degrees. <laughs> and so for everyone listening to our nerdy people uh, talk about macro theory and human dynamics here, self-determination theory is about these intrinsic motivators. So if sure. money is an extrinsic motivator, it's what are what is the framework which drives internal motivation. And the best one that I've come across is relatedness, mastery, and self-determination. And if those three are the magic, so 
Mastery is everybody wants to get better at what uh, he or she is doing. So you want to be challenged. You want to uh, work on increasingly complicated problems, work for bigger problems, and, and off you go. And so, so often people are burned out in the job, not because it's not a great job, but they've done the job, right? They've actually done the job and they've done exactly what they're doing for like 10 years and then there's nothing else to do. So they lose a sense of challenge and mastery. So they wanna go do something else. That That is certainly challenging as a leader to always be challenging, which means as a leader, your organization has to always be growing and a lot of organizations plateau. The relatedness, you gotta work with great people. You have to work with people that you resonate with, right? Sure. That, that has like resonant energy and, and you connect with and have chemistry and all of those intangibles that you know, uh, no, nobody can put a finger on, but everybody feels when, when they exist. And then, and I think, and this is my thought fed, I think the desire for more self-determination, which is, you know, having, a, you know, deciding, hey, I'm going to go do this or I'm going to go do that is because of lack of relatedness. And as more and more of our life is metaverse and, and screens and, and video calling, well, we're losing the biochemical uh, uh, experience of actually being in, in the presence of other people that we have intensity, intensity, intimacy, and frequency with. Mm. And as a result of that, we want novelty via, via kind of self-determination. And that's my, that's my thesis on that. But where it comes back to with these large organizations is if a renowned financial institution, world famous, with brilliant people and doing the, the, the most cutting edge work that there is to do in finance has to throw money at young people in order to get those young people to work there. There is a problem with relatedness and self-determination because the mastery part, like the, the sky's the limit when you're there. Right. <laughs> it, it doesn't get any bigger than that. But that means there is a massive relatedness issue. And when we were in the service, it, which is life in a pressure cooker and we're in combat. So there were all these questions like, why is this? And why is that? And why are we standing here? And, oh, you think waiting for attorneys to get back to you is boring? Wait till they tell you your plane's going to be here in two weeks. And you can, you have nowhere to go and nothing to do. And you're eating like chow hall food. Like that's boredom. <laughs> right? But then when the colonel shows up, and they tell you this like big thing going on and all, you're like, oh my God, well, why didn't somebody tell me that before? I would have right. been happier for the last two weeks. And, and I think that with the pressure to perform, senior leaders at the large organizations are very much client focused and they have responsibilities and, and, and they're accountable to certain metrics and they're really focused on that. And I think there's a disconnect with the young people of connecting and building a relationship with the more senior individuals driving that culture of relatedness. And then they feel like they're ignored, not working. And you're dealing with people with like the most activated dopaminergic pathways in the history of humanity. No homo sapien in two and a half million years has had more dopamine more frequently than young people today. Mm -hmm. And that means they got to have a lot of interaction and a lot of relatedness. But the magic is no screen can do for you what sitting with an engaged person can do for you at a biochemical level. And I, so I think that these, some of these larger organizations may have to rethink how much time the senior people are spending with the younger people 
and promoting people who are great coaches and great, great leader is the wrong word. Of course, it's a good leader, but a good coach. And not every good leader is a good coach. And I think these young people need great coaching. So I agree with everything you said. And I think that there's an opportunity for you and I and others in the space that represent perhaps a slightly younger vintage of folks in capital markets to be a bridge for that new generation, because we're still young enough that we can see the unique context in which they are getting their sea legs in this industry and the ways in which the incumbents in some ways, you know, for a variety of reasons might be falling short of their expectations or what's really going to trigger that intrinsic motivation. So that's something that I think will be really interesting to track. As it relates to that, I'd be curious to learn a little bit about the extent to which how your firm's relationship with Finalis since you joined us, specifically with respect to the solutions that we deliver, has played a role in, in helping you and the Horatio Group. The short answer is, is we couldn't have done what we've done in the time frame uh, that we did it without Finalis. The last 20 years of my life and, and what the listeners have heard me talk about at nauseum is bureaucracy is a constraint uh, or, or the back office running the front office. You have to have this report and that report. And it takes right. two weeks to get someone to read this and on and on. And now all of a sudden I'm angry. I'm losing relatedness because I'm angry. And my self-determination bubble just feels like it is being massively depleted because a bunch of lawyers with PhDs are telling me what I can and cannot do and dictating my operational tempo. Right. Not for me. But at Finalis, the back office is an enabler. And, and I'm so impressed with you and the team and the technical uh, uh, team and the compliance professionals and everybody involved at Finalis, inversing the front office, back office dynamic. And, and I think that starts really with you and the, the humility you have of who you are, the, the educational and, and an academic background you have and your focus on being of service through compliance. And it's very rare, and there's seldom few founders. When we first started out, for all of you listening, Fed, who has a PhD, a JD, and a master's degree, go find somebody else with that. Like N equals maybe two, right? There might be somebody else with this qualification. <laughs> Wrote our engagement letters. And I'd say, Fed, like, I need to put these paragraphs in. How do you word it? And he personally did it and got it back to me the same day. What else need be said? And I think those early days have set a tone where the speed of the service and, and the quality of the service, I couldn't, I, we couldn't do the deals we do at the rate we do them without such a wonderful team supporting us. And it always feels of, you know, it's, I don't do no because. If people tell me no because, they're fired. Finalis says yes if, and that means you're hired. It is a yes if organization, and I could I couldn't have done it. I, we, and 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 the other thing too, clients the clients they've been in business for thirty years. They've read documents. They know what engagement letters are supposed to look like. Their lawyers who are from from uh, proper law firms read documents. And if you have amateur documents, you're going to be looked at as an amateur. And those finalist documents are are a plus. And when those go across and, and uh, other professionals read them, they say, yeah, these, these, these are real bankers. This is a real organization that we're working with. And that all comes from your team and the attention to detail and the quality that they have. 
and it's it's really uh, it's exceeded my expectations. Oh, I mean, Billy, thank you so much. Those are incredibly kind words, and I would just say that your military bona fides are far more impressive than any academic piece of paper I might have on my wall. But anyway, the customer centricism, I think for us is a real obsession and we're constantly focused on finding ways we can deliver more leverage value to you and Horatius Group. One of the things that has evolved is obviously, I think you were customer number 14 or 15. We now have over 120 investment banks on the Finalis platform, over 520 active deals in market. There's kind of a potential energy there that we're starting to find ourselves in a position to really exploit for the benefit of of all the participants of the Finalis network. And one of the manifestations of that is this mandate marketplace notion. And I know that, you know, we have sent some opportunities your way. Tell me a little bit about where you see the potential there unfolding as we continue to develop this concept. I'm on the precipice of closing a transaction and getting a fee as a result of the marketplace, and it isn't even built out all the way. And and so, you know, and for everyone listening, a a, a bulge bracket bank, it, sure, it's one broker dealer, right? There's a unified registration. However, it's really like a collection of small teams. There's there's product teams and 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 uh, industry teams, and there's all kinds of teams. And those teams all engage different clients. And if a, a industry team needs a product team, well, they pay the product team. There is fee sharing uh, involved up and across those large organizations. That's actually the norm. And what's so neat about uh, Finalis is the diversity of the team. And you know, we're we're growing our real estate practice at Horatius Group uh, largely because our clients ask us to. We work with a lot of family offices and basically. And the family offices we work to have real estate allocation. They have private equity allocation. Uh, we have historically dealt with them on the private equity side or the operating company side, but it's very hard to build these relationships. And if you have them, why not be able to offer them different kinds of product? And so there are real estate professionals on uh, the Finalis platform that I have uh, engaged with to pitch in a month, months long bake-off with other investment banks. And because of the both of us that met through the Finalis marketplace, we won the mandate. Amazing. There's, there's other individuals who uh, we, we put out, like I got a mandate, we, we put the, the, uh, the, the transaction out into the market and they called us back, we have the calls and now we're, we're about to close a multi-million dollar financing for, for a real estate project through the other individuals' capital networks, not mine. But if one person gets the deal, the transaction or the mandate and the other person gets the money, that's called a winning team right there. I, I always tell folks, I say, listen, 10% of a success fee is way better than 100% of no success fee. Uh. <laughs> every time, every, every, on all days that end in Y, Fed's comment is correct, and I, I can't wait to see the uh, the marketplace get uh, get bigger. And, and so those of us who have specialties can then start putting it together in, in our own organic way, and we're all going to make uh, more money and, and be able to accomplish more objectives as a result. Awesome. Well, Billy, I want to thank you for joining us on Pencils Down. Thank you so much for your time. But most of all, thank you for your partnership and your friendship, you know, being an early client of the firm from its earliest years. 
and very much looking forward to building upon the partnership in the days to come. Oh, well, well I'm excited. And I knew that I was that I was on my way in finance. And I was with a, an associate at a private equity firm and we were driving to look at a transaction and he was getting married and he was talking about like, oh, but like my friends from high school, but and I told him, I was like, listen, you need to start writing covered calls and not uncovered puts, which is to say you want to play long-term games with long-term people. And right. it's so fun in life when, when you have a new chapter, I'm starting a company, you're starting a company, which was, you know, the finalis, and you can identify long ball hitters and uh, what a gift it is when, when someone that you admire and respect partners with you and that everybody can grow together. And I think some of the great organizations all, all happen because of this uh, building the right network and, and then growing together over time. Could not agree more. And I think that's a perfect note to end on. So thank you so much, Billy. Hope to have you back here soon. Finalis is a broker-dealer platform with everything M&A advisors, investment bankers, and placement agents need to succeed. We deliver a broker-in-a-box regulatory affiliation solution replete with tech-enabled compliance, research and analytics, deal lifecycle management tools, and a first-of-its-kind deal marketplace. Learn more at www.finalis.com. You've been listening to Pencils Down, a Finalis podcast. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show on your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep covering the latest in the securities brokerage landscape. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Mm-hmm.